It's the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW, your cure for corporate radio. And the program continues uh, Wednesdays, whenever we can manage to get them together, which is not every Wednesday, sadly, but uh, as often as we can. Uh, we invite Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer to join us on the studio, in the studio. We've done this for about the past month here on CHRW, but this part of the program has a long history going back probably a dozen years or cl- close to that, eight or nine, eight or nine yeah, uh, where we get together. We're and, so young yeah. and naive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Three of us get together and kick around some of the stories of the day from differing political perspectives. Uh, nobody is required to take any position. Nobody is required to uh, to assume a position they don't believe in. If they want to play devil's advocate, they're welcome to do that, but they're also perfectly free to acknowledge that's what they're doing. So it's not so much that, uh, that uh, any one person is always and immutably on the right or on the left or in the center. In fact, it does drift around uh, depending on the topic, but we call it left, right, and center because we're trying to give you perspectives from right across. Across the political spectrum, Jeff Schlemmer is a noted local lawyer, and uh, Bob Metz is a noted local political activist. And uh, we welcome them both. Did I do that yet? I didn't. Welcome to both today. Okay. I'd you. like to start with a, a very contentious issue, and one that has been talked almost to death around the world. And yet, I think that uh, our listeners would benefit, and I'm certainly curious to get the take of our two guests today on this. And this is the furor over the the characters that appeared in the Danish newspaper and that have prompted so much furor uh, among some Muslim communities around the world. And to me, this is very instructive. And I want to say something off the top about this, too. I did, I've received several emails from this, from people who are very angry that, uh, uh, at, at the Muslims for rioting and burning flags and so on and, and saying, you know, a couple of them saying, here, this is just further proof that they're terrorists. Yeah, they, and I wrote them both back, and I said, well, look around here, look around Canada. We have a very large Muslim population here in the city of London. Have there been any riots here, any flag burnings, uh, any calls for anybody to be put to death? No, no. Uh, there are, many of the Muslims in this area are very devout. Um, I happen to know a number of them. Why is it that they're not calling for holy war against these people? Uh, could it be that this is not so much about Islam as it is about uh, um, social forces in other parts of the world that are inextricably linked in those parts of the world with uh, what is sometimes referred to as radical Islam and is less about the religion itself. This is what many uh, Muslims have been saying publicly, particularly in the West, saying that, yes, we're very offended by this, but the Quran tells us, essentially, to put it in, more, in Christian terms, to turn the other cheek. When people do this sort of thing, we're just supposed to, well, you know... Sorry you're not getting it, guys, but uh, you're not supposed to take up the sword and go after them. And this is what we've been hearing from community leaders here in the city and across this country. And I think that's got to be very positive for for the uh, reputation of the Islamic community in Canada. But I just wanted to say that, not to necessarily elicit a response from either one of you, although if you'd care to respond, that's fine. I just wanted to make that statement that I think that puts the lie right there, that this just proves once again that they're all terrorists. Um, Jeff, I'm going to start with you because you, you because of your legal background here. Uh, this has very rapidly spun from sort of a righteous indignation to something that that is very serious with very serious legal ramifications: destruction of private property, threatening people with death, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you look at the story and the genesis of the story, what do you make of it? What are you seeing here? Well, I think that it's. Um what we always see when there's violence associated with religion, or usually, and that is that it really has nothing to do with the religion that 
this has no more to do with religion than Northern Ireland did uh, as a Protestant Catholic issue. And of course, there have been more religious wars um, that are really uh, militant people who are looking for something to clothe themselves in to suggest that they're on the right side of whatever the issue is. And uh, certainly the majority of Muslims that I've heard from, uh, again, are, are somewhat embarrassed by this, particularly in the context that I gather that the cartoons were originally attached to an editorial suggesting that there's a problem with violence amongst Islam. Uh, so it just plays into that. On the other hand, it's also obviously baiting radicals who they knew would use this as a way to, to whip up a frenzy in the mob. So they knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, I heard a fellow from... Um, England saying that this was uh, that that his concern wasn't so much about whether you're supposed to depict uh, uh, the prophet or not, but essentially it was um, that there are there 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 are some people in um, Europe who are looking for ways to be intolerant of Islam, and that this essentially um, is more cynically designed to try to whip up anti-Islamic. Uh, sentiment in Europe, and that it that it sort of plays out according to script, which he regrets. But bottom line, he said, "Well, this is a, this is the modern Salman Rushdie, and that uh, every so often something like this comes along." And he said, "All you can do is get beyond it, um, and eventually it'll die down." Um, what do you make of the of the 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 charges, the well-founded charges, that in many of the more radical uh, Islamic states and publications, this type of depiction of Jews, for example, is an everyday occurrence and Nobody within those states is is saying, you know, this type of hateful uh, character characterization should not be allowed. As long as it's somebody else, it's not a problem. But it's when it's me now, it's a problem. What do you make of the argument that that uh, that they that the people who are making such a thing out of this are really walking on very shifting sands? Well, and I don't think that anybody would argue that there's any attempt at reciprocity. Anybody would argue that again, this is based on any kind of. Uh, uh, tit-for-tat uh, uh, argument that uh, somehow there should be one standard. Again, I think it's militants who are just looking for ways to incite mobs. Uh, any, any of the mob people that I've seen interviewed on TV have no idea what the issues are. Uh, they're just you know, uh, out of control, as they were, uh, as American soldiers were, for instance, when they invaded Iraq. Uh, you know, when uh, I watched the young American soldier uh, crawl up and uh, rub the American flag in Saddam's face saying this is for 9-11, you know, that uh, the mob seemed to be pretty ill-informed and uh, what they lack in knowledge they make up in passion uh, and ultimately in violence. But at root, uh, it's not something that you can discuss with them. <laughs> All you can do, and I think this fellow is right, is move on. Just write it out. Yeah, I think so. Bob, what do you think? I disagree with the basic premise that uh, violence is not associated with religion. I would say it's quite the opposite. I think faith and force, as Ayn Rand wrote, are destroyers of the modern world. They go hand in hand. And it's not a coincidence that some of the most violent places in the world are their most religious. It's because they cannot withstand the light of reason and the light of fact and the light of reality. So they resist. And the only way you can resist reality is by the use of force. You have to either deny, ban, prohibit, uh, or otherwise act irrationally because you're not behaving rationally. And to, to me, see, religion's all about he says, she says. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's faith, and they say so themselves. They're not, they're not bringing you evidence and saying, I believe in this because, well, here we have, you know, some physics evidence or some evidence of reality. No, it's basically based on non-evidence. So when you've got two people who've got their own little mystical stories, 
and they want to co coexist in the same geographical area, and they can't stand each other because their beliefs cause them to hate each other. I see more hatred associated with religion than with any other single thing other than perhaps politics. But what now, about... What about see, and, and I also see religion You don't see it in writing. You don't see it in the core documents. Like, you, know, you don't see uh, any of the, of the uh, core uh, books upon which these religions are based advocating going out and hurting people. Well, there, well I would, no, I can, that. You, you can I would disagree with that, too. I think there are passages that can be interpreted that way. There certainly well, are in exactly. the Bible, and I'm told there are in the Quran as well. I don't think you need to do too much interpreting. In the, I think it's well, pretty, in the Bible, you've got to look to the Old Testament. You're not going to see uh, Jesus quoted saying, go get those other guys. Very true. And, and if, we're, if, you know, if that religion is Christian, if it's supposed to be based on the teachings of Christ, he didn't say go out and, and do an eye for an eye, uh, tooth for tooth. Okay, let's, let's, let's take, it, uh, just take just one step sideways, and then we can't get away from religious because it is all about religious. But the argument now that has been made in Europe, and, and Jeff, you suggested that this was providing fodder for people who are looking for reasons to be anti-Islamic, to, to indulge their prejudices. Uh, the argument that has sprung up by a number of newspapers that reprinted these. Uh, initially, there was a period of quiescence after it was first published, about a month, but very little ha happened, and then the, the, the momentum started to, to, to roll, and some people in the, in, in the Islamic community, um, radical Islamic community and otherwise, said, this isn't right, you shouldn't have published those, they're wrong. Uh, you should not be allowed to, and then they started burning flags. And then some of the other uh, European newspapers took it up and reprinted them initially as news stories the cartoons so, you mean the cartoons yeah. initially as news stories and there's a news story here that people are upset about these cartoons and here by the way are the cartoons and then it seemed to metamorphose from that a little bit into damn it here's the cartoons we have a right to show these these people are telling us that we we don't have the, the, the right to do this that our free speech should be abridged because they're offended and we're not going to allow that so it seems to have taken all these these sort of steps and downward steps, many people would say. Bob, but I want to ask you about the issue of the right to publish this stuff, knowing that at this point now, every time they're published, they are inflaming public sentiment somewhere. Do the publishers have any responsibility not to do that? Well, they have a personal responsibility, not a legal one. I think they have a right to publish whatever they want. I haven't seen the cartoons in question, regrettably. Um, I think the one most offensive one... The, the, Reportedly offensive is one with Muhammad with some kind of weapons with him or something like bomb that. Bomb in his turban. Yeah. A bomb in his turban. Well, I don't know what the purpose of that joke was or where it came from, but if it's to associate violence with Islam, I think it makes a legitimate point, wouldn't you say? And if it's looking at the historical accuracy, uh, my historical understanding of Muhammad, he was not a man of peace. If anything, I would describe him as a man of war. Well, the Muslim, I think many Muslims would take a, take a, a quarrel with you there. Well, I'm sure they would, but then again, I want to know if that's true. Therefore, the history books and encyclopedias are wrong then. That's what I have. To, I, that's the only place I get my information. And the picture they paint historically of this religious figure is anything but a Christ figure. I mean, if you took everything Jesus Christ stood for and put Muhammad beside him, they'd be the two opposites as far as I see historically. Now, me being non-religious either, in either camp, it's a non-issue to me personally. But when I see other people arguing amongst themselves over what I see as irrelevancies, it, it looks pretty silly from my point of view. But here again, you have the issue of faith. How can you defend a faith against the facts? Well, I have, well, I, I have seen the cartoons on the Internet. Mm -hmm. and, and I will tell you that um, as a non-Muslim, they obviously do not affect me the way they might someone for whom sure. Muhammad is the, one of the core elements of their faith. But I can tell you that I have seen cartoons mocking Christ, 
and uh, mocking God in publications over the years, Western publications, that, that as, a, as a Christian after a fashion offended me relative to my belief in Christianity. But at the same time, I would look at them and say, well, that's, you know, and quite literally, it's a free country. I don't agree with doing that. I don't think you should have done that. I don't agree with the sentiment you're expressing, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I've also seen some of the ones that have been published in some of the uh, Arab dailies that were, there was a, a, a run in one of the papers the other day where they had a, a dozen or so of them, and they were horrendous. As somebody said, they could have come right out of the pages of Der Sturmer, the, the Nazi mm-hmm. Night, mm-hmm. anti-Jewish magazine. Um, could have been lifted right out of the pages of that magazine. But it's not. A, it's so not there's, a, one, there's what I'm trying to say. There's no monopoly on this kind of thing. Well, no, but I, and I saw the pictures as well, and I and I gather that they were written, uh, that the, the the pictures were inserted with this story. That the point of the of the exercise was the story, which was about there's a problem with violence and. In, uh, in Islam, and uh, I gather that was it uh, half a dozen prominent uh, uh, cartoonists in Europe were invited to uh, to draw pictures of the Prophet, and they're not like the ones that I saw are ones that they're they're stylized cartoon ones. But I gather that the the technical objection that the people who have incited all the violence use is that you're not supposed to depict uh, Muhammad at all. Mm-hmm. And so it would be in- interesting, I suppose, in a way, although it's ultimately not about this, but if you had drawn the most respectful picture you could imagine and published it, they would have the same beef uh, as they otherwise do, they say, uh, because it's you know such a, an offense to do this, uh, which is fine. But again, I, the, the people who are the ones who are inciting the violence are not about reason. You can't say, well, other people do it, or you do worse, or anything like that. It's, it's not about that. It's all about there's a political purpose at a particular time. Uh, but you can, say that you can say that if you're talking about what's happening in Europe now, where the press in Europe is very, uh, very adamantly taking a position. It is our right to do this, and we don't care what you can burn our embassies down. We don't care. You're not going to intimidate us. Oh, is, this, is this a is this but, a useful response? Well, I don't think yeah, it is. I, at the I end think, of the day, I think they have to do it. I don't with, think they have a the choice. Point. Otherwise, they will be subject to irrationality and and fear. And, and hate mongering forever and ever and ever and ever. Well, this is designed to stir that up. This is uh, designed to calm it down. I, I disagree. Jim, Jim's question left a ri- major implication. He's saying, yeah, we've seen these kind of hate cartoons about other religions and other people, but you don't see that reaction. So what does that tell you about the people that are reacting? They obviously have a low tolerance level. Well, they're irrational. That's the problem. Is well, the people who are who are out there to foment mobs are doing it because it's politically advantageous well, in the context of whatever political struggle they're involved in in their particular uh, country. So, uh, on a particular day, it's a good idea to have mobs of people burning cars because, but, in the longer term, can, that's what serves their purpose. But can we placate them? I guess is my question. Well, we, we know we can that, ignore them. We know there are large numbers of Muslims who are absolutely not responding this way, who well, are upset, who are distressed, right. who are disgusted by yeah. this. But they're you know they're. Well, they're, they're you remember last we, week we were just talking about Tony Blair losing his vote and British. Parliament mm-hmm. because they're trying to keep Muslim clerics from preaching their hatred out yes. in the streets and they lost it so they won a big victory there and now here they've won a victory for freedom of speech for their hatred which is out and out hatred and then they complain about a political cartoon but it's, it's not the same people too. that's well, the not the same people but so. that's the problem exactly and also I'm going to take a step further that I didn't get in earlier I think this is all orchestrated by governments okay all of these big demonstrations and things like that they don't happen spontaneously mm-hmm. okay um, anyone who lived in, in, in Hitler's Germany will tell you that all those raw, raw rallies that they had going there, you went there you, or you were shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a matter yeah. of, well, man, we're so excited. Well, as you say, the people I've seen interviewed have no idea why they're there. Yeah. Right, uh, exactly. 
No, it's just like uh, somebody has offended us. Uh, rally at two o'clock at such and such. We're going to burn the place down. Right on. Let's go. Uh, you know, I've, I've read about, uh, among other things, about what a ter- terrific boon the uh, the uh, technology age has been because it's so much easier to organize a rally now with email and everything else, cell phones, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of those things are in play. But again, at root, you're absolutely right. This is political. It's not religious. And the, the question is, it's like a kid who's, uh, who's screaming for attention. Do you punish them? Do you give them what you want or do you ignore them? Uh, my philosophy has always been you ignore them and make them realize this isn't going to get you what you want. It ain't going to work. We're not going to choose to be baited by this. So blow your brains out, but I'm not doing nothing. We're going to pause for a moment. We return with more left, right, and center. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz, Jim Chapman, back right after this. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us on left, right, and center today on the news hour. And uh, I want to change the focus, guys, to... Uh to Belinda and Dave crossing the floor. Mr. Emerson, Ms. Stronach, and Ms. Stronach did so a few months ago, crossed the floor from the Conservatives where she had been a contender for the partnership and had been defeated. Um, she came to Mr. Martin uh, bearing the gift of her vote, which helped prop up his government, in return for which he gave her the gift of a, par- of a cabinet seat. <clears throat> uh, just a few days ago, Mr. Harper... Uh, welcomed uh, Mr. Emerson across from the the other side of the floor where he had been a cabinet minister in the Martin government. And uh, he did not bring any winning vote or anything with him, but he was rewarded with a cabinet seat. Now, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of speculation, a lot of argument and a lot of defense of Mr. Harper. And interestingly now, uh, today, in a number of the normally right-wing... Uh, columns and papers, uh, Mr. Harper seems to be losing ground on the argument that this was a good strategic move. Uh, he's starting to get hammered by some of the uh, ideologues, not just the ideologues, but some of the pundits that are center or right of center that really have been quite kind to him for the last few months. He's getting hammered as having betrayed uh, two basic tenets of his campaign, one that uh, we were going to restore Uh, integrity to government. We were not going to indulge in this sort of behavior. And two, we were not going to uh, appoint anybody to the Senate. And we certainly weren't going to allow anyone to sit in the the cabinet who'd not been elected. We certainly weren't going to allow any senators to do that. He's uh, thrown all of that out the window. How different is this, uh, significantly or otherwise, to... uh, Mr. McGinty's health tax, where he promised up and down, I will not raise your taxes, and almost as soon as he got in, oh, by the way, get your wallets out. That was very unhappy at the time. Still a lot of people unhappy about that. Anything analogous here? Is this going to hurt him? Well, well I guess it's, uh, it's politics as usual, you know, that uh, it's, it's an irresistible dig that, uh, that Stephen Harper is able to get in at the Liberals when they can... St- when he can get one of their star players over to his side. Yeah, so, but the guy's hardly a star, though. I know, but it's just it's just irresistible. It conjured up images, though, for me of maybe it's time that they have a checkpoint Charlie, you know, like they did in Berlin, <laughs> and uh, they can exchange their agents back again, <laughs> back in your corner, parole them out of the uh, out of the conflict. But uh, it's just so silly. But having said that, for anybody who's been who's watched politics for any length of time, nobody seriously expected anything would be remotely different. Uh, you know that uh, beyond that, in this case, to take the fellow and put him in charge of the very ministry where where they had all the scandals about patronage. You know, this is a guy who's all about backroom Tory patronage, uh, and they put him in charge, an unelected guy. Uh, but but having said that, uh, it doesn't it, it doesn't surprise me because essentially at at the operational level, the p- politicians all work the same way. And it would Brian Mulroney did the same thing, and the Liberals did the same thing, and Mr. Harper will but do the same you, thing. But can you can you explain why in this case 
he did it. There were there were no com- compelling reasons that, no. that I can see. There were some strategic possibilities. There were no compelling reasons at all to do no. either of these things. No, it's just a way of thumbing his nose at the liberals. That if somebody is willing to embarrass the liberals, it's just too irresistible. He should have kept his hands off because it does tarnish his stated goal to be cleaner. Um, he should have resisted appointing his friend in, to be in charge of public works because inevitably, three or four years from now, the same allegations are going to arise. It's as certain as day following night that he's abused that position. His job is to dispense patronage in Quebec. That's the guy's job. <laughs> That's what he says his job is. Uh, this is a guy who said he didn't run run right now because he's got five kids at home and it's yeah. not a good time in his life. Well, yeah. suddenly it became a good time in his life when yeah. he could be in charge of patronage. And he's a lawyer, for God's sake. Oh, Makes it even worse. Bob, Bob, what do you make of this? <laughs> well, I, I cannot speak to any of, of Stephen Harper's reasoning or logic behind his decision, but I, I would say it's still within his purview and power to do what he has to do to keep his party together as best as he sees fit. What I find most interesting here is the reaction to this. First of all, it's very different from the Belindistronic thing. This occurred after an election. There wasn't a, a, a government about to fall because of it. It wasn't, you know, there's mm-hmm. nothing at stake in that sense. But what's interesting is, and I, the first thing I said, as soon as the Harper government gets in, they're going to start self-imploding by criticizing themselves to death. Because conservatives don't think too much further than the average person. And the infighting is just amazing. It, it's just stunning. Because here's Harper. I, I don't, first of all, I don't think this has anything to do with integrity. People are free to cross the floor if they have a good reason to do it. Uh, if you don't like their reason, that's a whole other issue. Um, I, I hear sour grapes on, on the part of some of the people who think that maybe they should have got a cabinet position, you know, but here you can already see the infighting. And if you're not behind your leader, like a week after the election, and sticking with his decisions and letting him play his cards out before he even gets a chance, you're, you're headed for, for doom again. And I just see the conservatives um, destroying themselves but right out, right out that of the has, start. That has been Stephen Harper's achievement, is to, to get them to stop the fighting amongst themselves, right. to bring the so, reform. But, well, this but it's, is a, hard, it's a tough job. Make, I don't envy him that job. Why this doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm, I'm really perplexed by this because I thought he did a masterful job and an unexpected job at, at welding this new party together. I mean, you think back to when they when he and McKay first struck their deal, and it was it was doom and gloom everywhere. Nobody gave that party a chance, not a nickel's worth a chance. And he built it to the point where they very nearly won a majority. And in fact, if that I think if that information about Dave Dingwall's entitlements had been released before the election, as it properly should have been, I think they would have won a majority. However, he still came pretty close. And then to do this... I don't. Uh, politi- I find politics fascinating. One of the reasons I find it pas- fascinating is because it is so predictable. This, to me, was unpredictable. This, for me anyway, came out of left field. This, I did not see this coming, and I still don't see, other than some sort of, you know, what, what part? strategic options. Hey, it's an extra seat in the house. Isn't that worth something right then it. and there? Doesn't need it. Well, he might not need it, <laughs> but I think there will be times he will need it. I don't think he needs as it. a guy who's saying that he's going to allow a lot of free, freer votes in the House. He's going to want more. Me that's, w- that's one of the strategic possibilities. I will grant you, but I don't think that's a big enough reason to do it because he has destroyed, destroyed the credibility he'd built up that he might just, might just be an honest man in politics. Well, but he's uh, he's well, obviously gambling. What's says, the, house is, the house is not sitting for another two months, and he's gambling this will blow over. That's that's his calculation about it. And, and uh, you know, obviously he thought it was an important thing to do. It's very very odd thing to do and it you know, things do have a way of sticking. 
You know, but if it demonstrates his, his anything, have told him it won't. If it demonstrates so, anything, it's that liberals and conservatives are very much alike. But I don't see anything dishonest in allowing someone to cross the floor and do this, unless he's made specific deals with people that he broke. You know, I'm going to be Stephen Harper's them. worst nightmare one month ago. What kind of integrity uh, pertains on either side of an equation that says, "Well, come on over here and be my right hand guy"? How can you possibly bridge that? I'm going to be his. The Tories are the worst thing ever to happen to this country, and I'm going to be Stephen Harper's worst nightmare, says Emerson. And a month later, he's a cabinet minister. Most of the people in Parliament, regrettably, are there for power without purpose. They don't have the philosophies and the principles that you expect them to adhere to so that they'll stick to their parties. That's not why they're there. But couldn't they at least, couldn't Harper at least have done us the courtesy of pretending otherwise for a little bit? Well, I don't know. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) Again, I cannot. Speak to his reasoning. Maybe a week from now, we're all going to go. Oh, no wonder that, that makes sense now. But or or worse, <laughs> he's destroyed the party. We can't tell from from a strategic point of view. Yeah, it looks really bad on, on from on the outside. But I don't see it as being anything to do with um, dishonesty or breaking any major rules or rules of the game. These are the rules of the game. Well, it reminded me of reminded me of George Bush's comment after he won the last election that he had uh, he had built up political capital and now he's going to spend it. And Stevens obviously decided to spend some of his and and he calculates that in the long run it'll be in his interest and he and he's a long-term thinker no question about it so uh, he's got it something in mind uh, but it, but you're right it's surprising i'm yeah. surprised that I even to appoint someone to the senate uh, again and put them in charge of public spending on that note we thank uh, bob metz and jeff schlemmer for joining us today and we'll be back tomorrow at 11 with the next edition of the Jim Chapman News Hour. Right here on 94.9 CHRW.